episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune at hey. TCO Performance Center in Egan. Thank Hi, you Andrew. guys for waving. Hi. Um, Josh Dobbs, officially official, yeah. named starting quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings on Sunday in Las Vegas, at least for this week. He's named the starting quarterback. Uh, I want to get your guys' thoughts on what we just heard from the head coach who made this decision over the bye week. Ben, this is kind of what we alluded to. Yeah. You alluded to happening. Uh, this is what they officially announce. Where do the Vikings go from here? Well, uh, they try to beat the Raiders and then probably reevaluate, I, I think. I, I would expect that Dobbs, if he plays a representative game, will keep the job. I mean, Nick Mullins, and I, I think, Mike, you asked about it with Kevin O'Connell yeah. this morning. Nick Mullins' back, I think, is still an issue enough to the point where they're thinking about it. I, it's not enough to keep him out of games, but I certainly think it is something they are factoring in as they are evaluating their pecking order and, and who the best options are. So I think this was probably the option they felt the best about to try to win games. They're, you know, they're, we've seen a lot of stuff about Jaron Hall. I, I, if you if you guys' mentions have looked like mine, there's a lot of play Jaron Hall people I don't think the Vikings looked at it that way because you're trying to win games now and playing a rookie is not going to be top of mind when you still have a chance to get into the playoffs. So I think a lot of those things factored in. It sounded like O'Connell and Dobbs had some conversations this week about kind of the intent behind plays. And, and I think Dobbs even got a chance to talk a little bit about some of the things he wants in the offense. It sounded from what they said today and from some of the other things I heard, like that was productive and, and probably a, overdue thing just because it's hard to do that in the middle of a season but um it's you get justin jefferson back too so it's onward with dobbs for at least another week yeah i mean to me i was i was surprised by it when when it started to emerge that it was likely going to be dobbs i thought it was the right decision all along i didn't know if this was the decision o'connell would make just because you look at it and you're like okay here's a offensive head coach he's just watched a guy turn it over a whole bunch playing off script he's got a guy who they've had as a backup for you know a couple of years now who knows his offense would he be tempted just to say hey I want safety I want I want the guy who I know can come in um, and just run the stuff I want him to run probably at a lesser at a lesser level than Kirk Cousins but he's going to spread the ball around he knows where I want the ball to go so I was I guess worried almost a little bit that that's where he was going to go because I didn't think that was the right move. So I'm I'm glad that they're going back to Dobbs even if there is kind of that trepidation after how he played against the Bears because I just think he's he's a higher he's a higher risk higher ceiling higher floor or, you know lower floor kind of quarterback than anybody else they probably have. But if you're six and six, like what what's the upside of playing Nick Mullins right now? There's not a lot of upside. There's there's upside still in Dobbs. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Yeah, I, I do think that 
if we're just judging it from the outside, it would seem he's got the higher ceiling, certainly, as a quarterback, just as a physical person, 6'3", walking around the locker room as we see him compared to Nick Mullins. Um, I found it interesting what O'Connell mentioned because you bring up Jaron Hall, Ben. O'Connell only mentioned when talking about his options, two of them, Dobbs and, yeah. and Nick. Yeah. I didn't hear him mention once today. You know, we really looked at Jaron's – drive or preseason he said we looked back at Nick's starts in the NFL we looked back at his preseason with us and we looked back at Dobbs starts not only with us but with the Cardinals this year in terms of evaluating who these players are right now that we're choosing between so that to me says just reading between the lines that they were not considering Jaron Hall um, at all and this is about the veteran options of who can guide this team that's playing very good defense that needs to find a way to control the ball um, because the Bears were on the field for 35 minutes in that in that Monday night loss um, that the Vikings had. So, Mike, to your point, I thought, and we discussed this last week with Mullins, I did think the conservative play, the safe play, would be to go to a guy who's got more starts than Dobbs and Hall combined. Yeah, I did too. Um, but they didn't. Um, ben, what did you think about what we've heard from these coaches this week about why they're sticking with this guy and kind of how the offense with Jefferson could kind of evolve with him? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you will probably see them put Dobbs in the shotgun a little bit more often. I mean, they, they've gone back to having him under center at least a, a portion of the time the last couple of weeks. I think we'll see more shotgun. I think we may see more no huddle on Sunday. That was one of the things that worked really well when it's first the thing of, hey, yeah. here's the play and let me tell you as much as I can before the headset shuts off of how you run it. There's a no huddle would give him more time to assess things at the line and have O'Connell in his ear. And, you know, you, you, I remember when the first time the Rams came to town with Sean McVay and Jared Goff and Mike Zimmer talked to us and it was almost, there was almost like a little bit of smirk in his eye about, well, this is the way they're having to do it. It's like, well, yeah, if, if you can do it, if you have 25 seconds before that thing shuts off, that you can help your young quarterback evaluate it. You know, maybe it's not the way they used to do it in the old school, but the technology works, so why not take advantage of that? I think you'll see some of those things. I think, you know, maybe a little bit more to move him around. Um, We'll have to see how it all shakes out, but I think a lot of it is understanding he's not Kirk Cousins. I mean, if you can find ways for him to extend plays, move the pocket, do some of the things to take advantage of his mobility – that seems like a logical way to operate to me. Yeah, we heard from Kevin O'Connell today talking about getting into some things that that better fit um, Dobbs. I wasn't at Dobbs. What did you guys take away from what he had to say just about his week that was? Well, I th- one thing I thought was to, to on Ben's point about running no huddle. I thought that Dobbs said something that kind of was to that effect, like we're going to you know do some do some more things where the you know kind of take advantage of the communication, take advantage of some of that tempo stuff. So I think he's kind of. Alluding to the same things yeah. you're saying there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there was a good conversation both this week and then I think a couple times last week. O'Connell talked. To, they both talked about watching film together and getting a chance to watch the Bears game. And, and people are like, "Well, why wouldn't they do that ahead of time?" Uh, the previous weeks, there just isn't as much time to pull back the the uh, the lens and take a wider view of it during the course of the season for a lot of this stuff. So and such a focus is on that week's game correct. plan. So if yes. you're going to sit down with a player, it's going to be about let's watch the Raiders third down yep. film. Yep. It's not going to be let's go watch your fourth start with the Cardinals or your first start with us yeah. and break all that down. Yeah, which is why this has been a tough 
assignment the whole time. I mean, this is, I mean, you go back to the first scene of quarterback where Kirk Cousins is reading the book to his kid and says, in an injury to the quarterback can sink a team's entire season. One of the reasons for that certainly is you lose a guy that makes your offense go and a guy that has played at a high enough level to be the starting quarterback. The other reason for that is this idea of building your offense around a quarterback and optimizing your offense for one specific person. When that person goes down, it's really hard to say, okay, let's make up for all this time that we don't have in OTAs, mini camp, training camp, or we're just working on ourselves. And even the preseason for them is about that. They don't game plan for the preseason. So you are trying to make up for a lot of lost time with a guy that just comes into your building. There is, I mean, yes, they spend a lot of time at the building during the course of a week. There is not enough time to make up for what you lose by not having that player here in the offseason. So that, I mean, that is the other reason that the injury to a quarterback can sink your season because when you get in this spot, especially when you have to get somebody from outside the building, you are constantly in this scramble drill kind of mode, pardon the pun. And I think even having that week, you know, even if it's not months to have O'Connell and Dobbs sit down, both of them talked about that was important. Uh, Dobbs especially said understanding the the intent behind a play helps a lot. So we'll see if that makes a difference. I mean, it's easy to say that on a Wednesday. It's another thing to, apply it on a Sunday and have it work, but I, I thought that was interesting. One one thing that I just was struck by thinking about them kind of going back to this, maybe this no huddle concept and him being in his ear more often, is, is that going to tax O'Connell in a certain way as a head coach who's also a play caller? Like, Is that going to be the only thing he can focus on when they're on offense instead of managing the game? I think it's a lot of work. I mean, I remember that in Atlanta he got to that press conference and he after the game he basically said, you guys can probably tell my voice is a little more hoarse than it normally is after a game because I was just talking a lot more and especially when you're on the road like they're going to be the next two weeks trying to talk over crowds though this one probably will feel like a home game in terms of the makeup of the crowd I would expect it's a lot of purple and gold on Sunday so that may not be as big of an issue but yeah I mean it it does I think put a lot more on the head coach I mean he certainly seemed pretty exhausted after that one and and just I mean, even the the degree to which he kind of talked about this took a lot to pull this off, and you're not there certainly. I mean, they're they're yeah. four weeks right. on from that, but that way of operating does require more of his focus on one thing rather than kind of the big picture. Yeah, and it's I think that'll be interesting to see how much they adjust with that because how much is O'Connell going to feel the need to hold his hand through certain things about if it's a play that he thinks needs that extra coaching point of like, Hey, this is a habit you had in Arizona with us. Remember you do it differently, like that kind of stuff on the fly. But when we're just like, Hey, you have Justin Jefferson now and you weren't running this <laughs> yeah, with Justin Jefferson against Atlanta to 18. Yeah. Um, and whereas now though, too, still that shuts off what 15 seconds or 10 seconds, yeah, whatever 15, before yeah. the play clock. And then when the defense rotates to a different coverage, he's on his own uh, to figure all that out after the fact, which is, you know, where the Vikings had issues, some of where they had issues uh, against the bears, um, four interceptions from him. Um, I do find it interesting how much coaches have wanted to talk about 
this offense didn't play well around Dobbs. Yes. And how there were players, I think O'Connell said today, there were a lot of minuses on critical plays from a lot of different players, guys that we count on um, in this system. So clearly they feel like this wasn't just Dobbs' fault, that four interceptions was not just on the quarterback and that they can play better. And they can start looking in the mirror too. Like the coaches were awful in that game. O'Connell, that might have been his worst game. That was a terrible game plan. And he, you know, if he's not outright taking blame for it, that's at least part of it, too, to me, is that he knows he can be better. Maybe he didn't put Dobbs in the right spot in that game either. Yeah, and I, I do think there was some introspection, at least from the conversations I've had. It, it sounded like he did do some of that during the bye week of just, okay, where do I need to be better for him? Where do I need to be more, probably a little more adaptable for him? Um, it, it sounded like those discussions with Dobbs happened and, and probably with other coaches happened as well. So, I mean, again, we'll see. Does this make a difference in? Does this make enough of a difference for them scoring ten points to scoring thirty five? I don't know about that, but it may not they don't take have that. Thirty five. No. Yeah, with no. Brian Flores, they got to score twenty two. It would seem. And against um, the Aiden O'Connell led Raiders offense, they might only need seventeen. Cousin Aiden. <laughs> Cousin Aiden. Yeah, uh, they have not played well. The the uh, Raiders. That is for much of their season. They had the they call the dead cat dead cat bounce when the uh, you fire the coach and you right. get that little bit of a, a <laughs> resurgence. Um, Where does that term come from? I'm not sure, but I've heard it a lot with yeah. sports. Yeah, I don't I don't know. But the Wild are probably getting that right now. Yeah, the point is, they had it a live with, cat with Antonio Pierce um, taking over. But the Vikings have a, what should be a winnable game in Las Vegas. Um, I know Devonte Adams is there, Josh Jacobs. They've got some good skill talent. But this Vikings defense is playing incredibly well. So when we talk about this offense, how much are they really going to need from it? I mean, that's that's the thing, too, that's the surprise, right, is that if you're thinking about this game specifically, like being mistake-free might be enough to win this game Somebody keeping Max Crosby out of the backfield is probably a yeah, big part of it. But, I mean, like, you know, you might only need 17 or 20. You don't want that back-breaking mistake. And, you know, even when Dobbs was playing well, he was turning it over you know, in that Atlanta game, things like that. So that piece of it is the wild card to me. Like, can he limit those turnovers while – they are kind of understanding how he helps. Um, and I can't believe, Ben, that you haven't yet said Bob Dobbs' job. Bob Dobbs got the job. <laughs> Bob Dobbs kept the job. With Brian Flores, the way this defense yeah. is playing, the reason why we talked about Nick Mullins being an option was because yep. we didn't think this offense needed to do a whole lot. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think cutting the turnovers down is the biggest part of it. I mean, that, that's been an issue all season. You can see the frustration – with O'Connell in that regard, I, there were a number of those interceptions that went off people's hands. Jordan Addison did not have a good night in that game against the Bears. So that's part of it is if people are better around him, I think that helps. I'm really interested to see if people start playing two deep safeties against Justin Jefferson again. It's hard to spy Dobbs with that. So does that give him more space to run around? That is another thing that could open the offense up a little bit as well. Um, I, you know, having Justin Jefferson back, I just think, helps everybody a lot. So between that and the defense, they may not need him to do much more than make a few plays and keep from turning the ball over. This is really one of the more contested divisions that the Vikings somehow find themselves in, and everybody's seen the Packers getting back to 6-6, six and six, but Detroit, you know, uh, pulling away from the Saints in that game to go nine and three. Viking shots at the division looking a little slim, but 
Uh, they're setting up here with their last three games against these the Lions, two with the Lions, one with the Packers. That's going to be a defining stretch of just who makes it to those wild card spots um, other than Detroit, I guess. Yeah, these next two, I think, in some ways are a lot more important. I mean, they're AFC games, obviously, but they're a lot more important because of the fact they lost the last two and their margin for error is, is gone now. I, I don't think – I mean, if, if you've – Figure it takes nine to get in. I don't think they can go into those last three, assuming they're going to win them all. I mean, and even getting two of those is probably not the way you want to live. Yeah, I Green Bay's looked a lot better. They have. I mean, it, that looks like a different team than the one we saw earlier in the season. And really, I mean, it's been Jordan Love, certainly, but from a lot of facets I think they look different obviously you know we've, we've seen them a little more because these last couple of games have been in prime time and not on days where the Vikings are playing so we get to see a little bit more of how they look and they just look a lot different than they have so I think them coming in New Year's Eve night is a much tougher challenge than it was and you're not gonna probably do better than a split with the Lions I wouldn't think so um, these next two, when it's uh, Aiden O'Connell, the O'Connell family feud, and Jake Browning revenge game, um, you have to get through all of the very <laughs> tense emotions of those settings and try to come up with wins because I think coming to those NFC games, needing to win three or maybe even two is not the ideal way to go about it. Yeah, when we talk about their margin for error, it dropping a game to the Bears. Yeah. Like that just eliminates yep. like that was the loss that <laughs> when we're trying to sit back and project these things, no one is expecting. You right. know what they're gonna do? They're gonna lose at home Monday night to even Justin Fields in Chicago and because here's the other thing with that game is the Vikings going into this stretch of three NFC games, had they won that, they still would have been undefeated in the division. And even if they had lost to the Packers New Year's Eve, it's like, well, okay, that, that tiebreaker's a push because you split there. The Packers finished with the Bears. They split with the Lions, I believe. So the Packers at the moment have two NFC North losses. Mm-hmm. And the Vikings, if they come into those last three undefeated, you're saying, well, if we end up in a tiebreaker with Green Bay, we're going to be fine because at that point we're 3-0 and in the division. And if we win one more if we beat them it's well that's head to head anyway but if they beat the lions once they're they're probably going to be okay with tiebreakers going forward so um that bears loss hurts them in that capacity too they they're still up on a lot of the teams in the conference because their nfc record has been so good they've lost to all these afc west teams more so than they've lost to nfc teams but the bears loss ate into the margin for error in more ways than one. It really did. Um, yeah, Green Bay right now is currently 4-3 and three in the conference. Um, Vikings 6-3 and three in the NFC. And, yeah, I, I think when you're looking at how these teams are stacking up, too, it, it's going to be difficult for the Vikings um, – to have any kind of lapse here and they're they're them trying to get on track i went initially when i looked at this out of the bye week i thought raiders Bengals. that's a nice little runway to get on track for yeah. the division games yep. but they don't have much of a runway for that you've got the seahawks at six and six you've got the rams at six and six directly behind the vikings and packers uh this is suddenly a more contested 
playoff field uh, for those wild card spots. Um, it, earlier, I was thinking it's a lot easier than the AFC. Doesn't look as difficult. All those things, um, but it, it does seem like it, the the middle is kind of getting jammed up there, where you thought the Vikings would have just kept winning and escaping that out. And Ben, when we're talking about where the Vikings are at in relation to Green Bay. I think it's interesting because we talk so much about the Vikings rebuild versus the Bears rebuild, but Green Bay is kind of going through a similar thing yeah. as well, right? And you move on from a Hall of Fame quarterback. They've had a really young core that they've tried to build around on offense at least. Um, they themselves are going through that rebuilding process, and their draft class from this past year or two years ago is looking pretty decent. Uh, we are out at a Vikings practice, and we're seeing – Lewis Seen, we're seeing Brian Osamoa, we're seeing Andrew Boo Jr., a lot of these guys wearing scout team jerseys that generally early draft picks in their second year are not wearing. So it's a good time at the bye week um, going into this this end portion of the season to talk about where that draft class is at, especially when you talk when we look in and around the division and we see the success that others are having. So um, you've talked about Lewis Seen before, but in terms of Andrew Booth Jr., Brian Osama, who's come back from an injury and played just a special teams role, um, they haven't seen a whole lot from that draft class no. this year in terms of 2022. No, they haven't. And it's, I think some of that has been new defensive coordinator. I mean, you have Brian Flores, who did not draft or was not here when they drafted Lewis Seen, did not have any input in that pick. Same thing with Brian Osama, same thing with Andrew Booth, same thing with Caleb Evans, but Caleb Evans has played well enough to put himself in the lineup he's the one um so that that i think has certainly hurt because they have been able to put together a a top quarter of the league or so maybe top third of the league defense even without these guys but when you need more contributions from some of these players and especially i think going into this offseason when they are going to have cap questions again they're going to have I mean you may have a young quarterback in here that reduces the cap hit of that spot but it doesn't reduce it that much because the Kirk Cousins cap hit in that scenario if he's not here is 28 and a half million dollars they would be in a better financial spot with players if they have to make decisions on players like Harrison Smith like do you try to bring him back at at probably a reduced number but you know bring him back at a higher number than a rookie would be when you have those types of choices to make, they would probably be in a better spot if they knew about Lewis scene or if they knew about Brian Osama when it comes to you know somebody like Jordan Hicks, I suppose. I mean that I don't know if that'll be as big of a question given how well he's played, but these are the types of decisions you make is do we keep the guy at 31, 32 years old that's making four or five million dollars, or do we take the 23 year old that's on a rookie deal who's got fresher legs and is getting paid less? So if, if you know something about those players and know that you can trust them, I think it makes it a little easier to keep your cap in good shape that way. Yeah, and it's interesting because you've seen Josh Metellus, you've seen Cam Bynum, these yeah. other guys step up in ways that you're thinking, well, Maybe Lewis Seen's not the long-term replacement for Harrison Smith. Maybe it's Josh Metellus. Yeah, I mean, that would require them maybe to put Josh Metellus in more of a traditional safety role. I mean, if they want to keep Josh Metellus doing what he's doing, that'll be interesting to see. It's also, I mean, the question there, too, is 
if Brian Flores is a head coach somewhere, yeah. are they running the same well, defense? Yeah, I, I think if let's say Brian Flores is still here, I think ideally, wouldn't he love to play a slot corner the way you play a slot corner? And you, Metellus can be the kind of in the box guy he's being. Yeah, like Schem- make him the Schem- safety that moves around. Yeah, schematically right now, Metellus is doing what he's doing because they don't have three corners right. that they totally yep. trust. Yep. And yep. so Byron Murphy's got to stay on the outside. Metellus has to be that third safety because they've got three safeties over three corners they like. Because they probably, in, in a perfect world, want Murphy to be the nickel. In yeah, some ways, you move him inside and you have another outside corner you trust. I think that's why they brought him in here. And you know, when you get into the, the off season and maybe Booth, Blackman, these guys aren't, you know, taking those those reps or earning that job right away. Um, you see them settle and all of a sudden we look up in June and it's like, wow, this is a lot of three safety stuff. And then in August training camp it was the same thing and then they pay Metellus before week one and it's like, well, because they're probably gonna be playing him a lot. Playing hundred percent of the snaps and in then some it's of these games. And even more than we thought. Yeah, yeah. Which is incredible. So I do wonder with him it, the solution of losing Harrison Smith might be, well, it's not necessarily drafting or signing another safety. It's going to be adding another corner yeah. to allow then Metellus to do the things that Harrison Smith um, does in that spot. Because It's not a cheap solution either, though. I mean, getting a corner of any reputation yeah. as a veteran is expensive and hard to find one in the draft, as we've seen. I do wonder if we're looking at yeah, another first-round corner. Just one more. <laughs> Mike Zimmer's gone, but we're, they're still taking first-round corners. It, it is sort of funny um, how much we've talked about like running the ball effectively, taking yeah. more corners. I mean, there are some shreds of truth in the things that he was talking about. Maybe not to the degree that he went with it, but uh, yeah, there's 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 a few of the Zimisms that have uh, lived on a little longer than maybe yeah. we thought they would. Passing the ball is definitely the right thing to to do most often. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, in terms of gaining yardage, being most efficient, but yeah, there's something to be said about you know having good corners in today's NFL, and I think that's part of what's remarkable of what Brian Flores has done here this year is that they've done it without having yeah. great cover yeah. corners. Like Caleb Evans has stood out for what he's done tackling, for what he's done underneath in terms of physicality, but not like whoa, did you see how he covered Mike Evans down the field? Um, you know they've done what they've done in part, and maybe they're, they're well. We know they're playing so aggressively and calling the pass rush so aggressively and the blitz so aggressively, in part because they don't want to spend and give put those guys in coverage longer than they need to. So I do wonder. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to see moving forward if Brian Flores is still here, how they adjust those things and the questions that we have regarding the 2022 draft class. That comes back around, and some of those questions are answered because of a Ivan Pace who's jumped in here, because of a Metellus who's jumped in and kind of developed under Flores and this coaching staff, and has been pretty remarkable um, to see for them. Um, before we go, um, one of the questions that we did get for this week, we're not going to do a standard uh, mailbag because we did one off of the bye week last week, but one that we didn't get to that I thought was interesting Um was about this defense and in terms of prioritizing the guys who you'd have to pay. Um, one of the questions was, how can you not keep Daniel Hunter? Yeah, the, that's the, an interesting decision. One of the questions was, um, you know, does Josh Metellus ask for a pay raise? I mean, there's the values of these guys, and I don't think Metellus is. No, I don't, is, I don't see that. They're not going to change his contract. He's in line with like a Jabril Peppers in New, uh, New England yeah. is making and, and kind of plays a similar role. But, the values of these guys has changed so much that 
if you're ranking, and I want to just kind of flatten this out into one question, if you're ranking these defenders, who are you, if you're like, let's just say building for the future for the Vikings and you could only keep three, who are the guys that you're taking for the long term for this defense? Like of the three that are on, yeah, like on the roster right now. If you're ranking these guys for the long term, so for me, obviously, I would start Daniel Hunter. Yep. Like the questions that we get from fans are how can you not keep this guy? Jim Suhan wrote the column of um, you got to pay him, right? Yeah. Um, you know, that's the take, right? He's to me is the most important guy. Um, but building blocks for the future, what have you learned about this defense of who is kind of asserting themselves into those spots? Because before the season, I would have thought, well, Byron Murphy, they signed him to yeah. be that guy. I don't think he's necessarily played up to that level um, this year from what we've seen from him. Um, but all of a sudden, Ivan Pace is one of those guys to me. I don't know if he's top three necessarily, but he yeah. might be top five in that discussion. Josh Metellus is somehow one of those guys. I think yep. Cam Bynum's one of those guys. Yeah, to I, w- talk about. I would probably put those two. Um, Pace, I would certainly have in the conversation as well. Um, DJ Wanham is an interesting one. I'm not as sold there as... I think he's a nice number three. Yeah. You yeah, know, he's been de- doing decently in his number two role. Uh, he's a guy that, for depth, would be a great off the bench piece if Davenport were healthy. Yeah. I still think they need a second edge rusher. I think so too, and that probably makes it more important to keep Hunter unless you are confident you're going to hit on one in round one. And yeah. the thing, like we've talked about, is if you're going to go in round one and say we're taking a quarterback, that means you're leaving a lot of these. They have a lot of needs at premium positions on defense. Corner, edge rusher. Probably defensive tackle, yeah. too. I, I mean, I think like a game-wrecking defensive tackle. I mean, it's sort of interesting to watch. And we talk about the Packers a little bit. The Vic Fangio scheme. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, they give up so much stuff underneath. It's like, yeah, but when you have game wrecking defensive tackles like Aaron Donald in LA and Kenny Clark in green Bay, it makes a big difference. And I do wonder if finding a position or finding a guy there that can contribute. I think that's a fairly big need. So if you can cross one of those needs off the list or say we can address it with a second round pick by keeping Daniel Hunter, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of logic in doing that. And the way he's played, it's really hard to just say, nah, we're good. Um, philosophically, it's an interesting choice because he'll be 30 next October. We have not seen Quasi Adolfo Mensa give contracts to players at that point of their careers very often. Um, so the the season he's had is going to come into some level of conflict I think with how they would probably operate in a vacuum but you're not operating in a vacuum and the other piece of all of these decisions that's going to be interesting to watch is you now are going to have a head coach and a GM coming into year three possibly off of two trips to the playoffs certainly off of at least one this idea that we're going to hit a hard reset and go back down to okay let's develop a young roster and if we win five games that's fine that's not how they've operated anyway that's not how the wills like to operate and i think it's harder to imagine this front office and this head coach going that way after two playoff years now we've talked about it a little bit too this would be the offseason i would probably keep an eye on contract extensions for both of those guys this is the, the 
juncture at which they did it with Mike Zimmer. Yeah. was after two years. So does that then give them the freedom to say, let's pull it back and we can do a little bit more of a hard reset? Maybe. I just I don't think that's how they're going to operate, and especially after two years of possible playoff trips, you know, the old Bud Grant phrase of don't win too early. Um, They probably did not (laughs) give themselves much leeway there anymore. So you may have to say, let's stay in and try to win, which may change some of the decisions on guys like Hunter. So if Hunter's the most important Viking defender moving forward, and Brian Flores is the second or, or one a to Hunter's one B. Yeah. Give me three more players that you think are, that have shown this year that they are pretty important to this franchise's future. I would say Josh Metellus, um, Cam Bynum, I would probably put in there as well. Ivan Pace, I mean, he's had a really good year. I think yeah. just philosophically, the question is, does an off-ball linebacker have that big of a factor? I, I don't know that I'd put him in that top three, but it's like, who else do you put there? I mean, Harrison Phillips would be the other guy. Yeah, those he's two. A good year. Those are the two. Yeah, I was going to say Phillips. I, like, I think Phillips has played very well under Flores yes. and what they've been doing, and I think Pace... Um, has been very good as a blitzer, as a pass rusher. He's actually their second most effective blitzer on the team, yeah. which surprised me. And I guess it shouldn't because when we asked, remember somebody asked Flores early in the year, like, do you got guys who can win one-on-one in a pass rush? Yeah. And one of the first guys he mentioned was Ivan Pace. And at the, yeah. at the time we were all like, well, that's okay. that's not a good sign. Yeah. Um, but Pace is pretty good. Yeah, um, I wasn't wrong. Uh, he's, he's got the height advantage of sliding under people. But yep. Um, anyway, I do think, yeah, you're right. The, the value question of a stack linebacker. Natural leverage. Is that the, the phrase they use? That was. That's a very nice way to say it. The guy's short. just incredibly short. It's like Kyle Rudolph used to say, my separation is more vertical. Which <laughs> I'm means not, I'm not, not that fast, but I'm tall. I'm not quick. I, I have to agree on Bynum and Metellus. Yeah, I would. I think Phillips, just because he's not, he's only in his sixth season, that is a guy that you can continue to keep and, yeah. and trust to play. At that level, he's just not, you know, he's not a game wrecker, no. as, you, as you mentioned. No. But he's an incredibly sturdy player at a position that they need reliability at and has been a good run defender. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the things they have done with him this year, and I think he talked about it a couple of weeks ago, is that um, it, it's not probably the role that he came here to play. I mean, certainly it's not the role he came here to play because they were in a different defense, but they've done a lot of really good things with him and – He's made a lot of plays. I mean, I think he's been in the backfield a lot more, been a lot more disruptive than we saw last year. So it, yeah. it has fit nicely with his skill set. It's just it's going to be so interesting to watch how this goes with this defense. I mean, there's there's a million things this offseason. This is going to be an incredibly <laughs> eventful offseason. Mm-hmm. But whether or not Brian Flores stays and how they would respond to that if they yeah. say, let's try to run the same defense – with maybe Durante Jones as the DC, maybe you can do that, but are you going to find somebody that has the same like mad scientist touch that Flores has had? Or do you say we're going to go a different direction? Like if Brandon Staley gets fired, do they bring him in and go back to the Fangio stuff with maybe a little more blitzing? I I don't know. I mean, I, I would tend to think they're going to want to play the way that they've played. And, and I think some of those things have lingered in Miami even after Flores' time there. Yeah. Um, but I, it's also kind of hard to recreate that all the time. And, um, 
yeah, it's it's just going to be a fascinating thing. And I say linger Miami. I guess Vic Fangio is the DC there now. So um, yeah, the yeah, guy that some. the guy that used to run some similar stuff was Josh Boyer. Yep, who was a defensive assistant under Flores. Yeah, I think he was the DC when Flores was the head coach. Yeah, and then stayed there the one year I think after Flores got yep. fired when Flores was in Pittsburgh um, last year. And so when when they moved, they ended up moving on from him. Yeah, and they after went to Fangio. So Boyer did end up taking some of the same stuff, and I believe Boyer's looking for work. So, well, I mean, maybe that's a. <laughs> although Flores becomes a head coach, maybe Boyer yeah. becomes his DC. I mean, there's there's a million iterations of this, including does Flores take Vikings offensive coaches, or does he take Durante Jones? I, I mean, there's a a thousand iterations of that we could get into and we can do it another time but. none of which vikings fans want to hear because they want him to stay a minnesota yes, viking they do forever more yep. <laughs> uh he is still currently a minnesota viking for as brian flores said this week a guaranteed 35 more days they have together for the end of this regular season we will be here to talk to you guys next time after the minnesota vikings play in las vegas on sunday until then please check out all of our work at startribune.com